Let's open our hearts to God one more time. I know we've already sung and we've been praising God, but let's open our heart. Maybe you haven't quite had the, come to the point where you've said, no, Jesus, I need you to work in my world. Just, I just invite you to lift your hands and, and, uh, and if, if you're too embarrassed to do that, just open your heart to God. Uh, maybe, you do, maybe you feel like God's a long way away. I want to tell you this, He's not far. He's not far away. The, the Bible says that God is near to us, to those who call upon His name. The, 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 the distance between you and God is just the distance between uh, where you are now and the point you've got to get to to reach out to Him. When we, when we reach out to Him, He reaches out to us. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. Lord, we know that you're always here and you're always near us. And Lord, you've even promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. But we take this moment to sanctify our hearts, set aside our hearts to you. And Lord, that we ask that you do something in our hearts tonight, something in the center of our life. Lord, because we know that out of the center of our heart, Lord God, our life flows. And I pray that, Lord, we'd be transformed, Lord God, because of what you do in us, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody says, Amen. Awesome. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. Well, I'm glad to be in church today. How many people are glad to be in church? Yeah, it's good to be in the presence of God. Great to have Ryan here. Nice to see you, Ryan. Congratulations on being a married man. Isn't it awesome? It's so good seeing people moving forward. Hey, calm down, boys. Calm down. Uh, great to see people taking steps forward in life. Amen. Amen. Well, um, there might be, there may be people here. There may be people here. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I know that I'm outside of my territory when I say this. But life is not about behavioral psychology. I'm just going to move over here, away from the behavioral psychologist, the actual psychologist. Do you know God doesn't work on your outside to change your inside? God doesn't, God doesn't sit with a stick punishing your bad behavior to try and change your attitude on the inside. God does what a behavioral psychologist can't do. God transforms us on the inside uh, and that works its way out. That's what the Bible teaches us. And so often we spend our time focusing on the outside of us. We definitely do that with the way we dress, don't we? How many people, you know, um, I've got a brother who used to just walk out the house. We've got friends like that. They used to get up in the morning and they just walk out. James has put his hand up. James has a friend like that. Uh, James, James, James. Anyway, my brother used to be much like James and just walk out the house with whatever he's wearing. But there comes a point in life, James, when you want to find a girlfriend. And, uh, and what you need to do is you need to take a bit of attention to your outside. How many people would put a bit of attention in their outside? Yeah? Do you know, my brother and James as well, they're putting a lot of attention in the outside because what they want to look like is I just walked out the house. That's the image that they're trying to keep. But, you know, in our life, we spend so much time focusing on the outside of us and so very little time actually allowing God to work on the inside of us, uh, including our behavior. So often we're trying to be good Christians or we're trying to be good people. Have you ever tried to be a good driver Okay, I'm going to do it. How are you trying? trying I'm going to really put the effort in at work today. Oh, I'm going to really make an effort with my friends. I'm really going to try and mend a relationship. Now, the reality is that sometimes the harder we try, the more difficult things become. And really, we need God to do something on the inside of us. So what I want to preach tonight is I want to preach to your insides. Right, Because you live in a world where you've got to face up to your outsides. You've got to face up to the challenges that God has put in front of you. Uh, but I'm believing that the things, the Word of God that we preach tonight is going to go down on the inside of you and transform your approach to the outside. Rather than, hey, the stuff I preach today is really things that you have to put into practice. But I'm really believing that inside of your spirit, I keep pointing here, this is where your spirit lives, in the middle of you, wherever the middle of you is. Out of the middle of you would come faith. Out of the middle of you would come hope. Out of the middle of you would come the strength that you need to face up to challenges, right? Tell me you might be sitting there. I know some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I don't really have any challenges. Well, if you think like that, you need to understand you've just drawn the circle of your life too small. So, so maybe you don't have challenges, but someone in your neighborhood does. Someone in your neighborhood needs you to have faith for their breakthrough. Uh, and then it just, you've got to decide how big's your neighborhood because someone in the world needs your help. Someone in the world needs you to come forward and you to step forward in strength. Amen? Well, if you've got your Bible and you grab it, how many people are rocking an old school Bible? And how many people got the analog Bible? 
all valve, nice warm tone. Yeah, a few of us rocking the analog Bible. Well, I'm trying to bring it back. I'm trying to bring back the analog Bible. I've been a committed digital Bible user for the last five years, but I'm saying uh, let's bring it back. Uh, let's bring back the paper Bible. How many people know that one of the best things about paper Bible is underlining? Underlining is one of the best things about it. Uh, so grab your Bible, and uh, we're going to read from First uh, Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 right through to the very end. Is that okay? And so there's a whole story, and I want you, again, remember what I said at the start. I want this to go inside you. I want this to go inside you. So as we read this, don't think, wow, what a crazy story. It doesn't really relate to me. Just listen to the cool story, and then I'm going to bring out three ideas for us uh, before we head uh, to McDonald's, eh? Uh, It says this, uh, there was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf. Everyone say Zuf. You know, if you think you come from a poorly named town, I'm from Paraparomu. Uh, If you come from Zuf, that's another thing altogether, right? Paraparomu is A, it's a stupid word, it's so long. And B, it's a terrible, terrible meaning. How many people know what Paraparomu means? Just me and Jono. How many people care what Paraparomu means? Just me and Jono and a few friends. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Anyhow, uh, there was a man who was from Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, the son of Ephraim, right? Elkanah had two wives. The reason he had two wives is because they didn't have the revelation that we have now, right? So they had a culture that was in disarray, and they had way too many wives, right? He had two. Uh, Hannah and Paniah. And Paniah had children, but Hannah did not. Now, this creates some tension because each year Elkanah would travel to Shiloh, which is where the um, tabernacle was, and they'd travel there to, do, to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies. Now, that's got one of God's best names, I reckon. The Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli. Eli's an old man, and his sons are in charge now, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Paniah and to each of her children. And even though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penaniah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penaniah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Verse 8 says this, Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. This is, the, this is not an intelligent man. Why are you crying, Hannah? Why aren't you eating? Don't be downhearted. Just look what he says. Don't, don't be downhearted. Just because you have no children, you have me. This is the man of extreme ego. You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? And the answer is no. Uh, Once after a sacrifice meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at this customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. And Hannah was in deep anguish crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer, give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He'll be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut off. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought that she'd been drinking. Right, So he, she's gone to the temple to pray. She's at church praying. And the pastor, the leader of the church, sees her. And she's, she's so overwhelmed by her distress. She's so, in so much, under so much pressure. She's so upset. She's praying, but no sound is coming out. So she's just, she's not aware of, you know, if, if you're praying and you're aware of people around you, you know, you try and pray a prayer like Jono, you know, lots of long words and, you know, well-crafted sentences. How many of you know that in the prayer meeting, sometimes you've got to pray for the audience around, you know? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right, but she's not praying like that. She's got past that, and she's just crying out to God. And she's run out of words. She's just got, you know, you know when, when something real serious is happening, you know, you sort of run out of words. And when you do say something, it's like, ah! You know, in an emergency, that's what you normally shout. Ah! You know? When, when, when you're really upset, you don't cry like this. You can't manage to organize your crying. It's, now, now it's actual crying, right? And she's doing what I would call actual praying. She's gone past saying prayers. Now she's actually crying out to God. And I said at the start, come on, God is near to you. 
The distance between you and God is the distance between where you are right now and whatever it takes for you to actually pray, to actually cry out to Him, to actually reach out to Him. And I'm not judging you if you feel God's distance. I'm not saying that you're not doing it right. I'm just saying, come on, there's a, there's a journey sometimes to really connecting with God where we actually express something from inside ourselves to her, right? And she says back to him, she says, no, no sir. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. I, I'm, in fact, I'm very discouraged. I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Don't think that I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and great sorrow. Verse 17, it all changes. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request that you've asked of him. Straight away, Hannah changes. She says, oh, thank you, sir. She exclaimed. And then she went back and she began eating again and she was no longer sad. Just this word from God changed the situation for her internally. The entire family got up early the next morning. They went to worship the Lord one more time. And then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with his wife Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel for she said, I have asked the Lord for him. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned, and then I'll take him to the tabernacle, and I'll leave him there with the Lord permanently. Well, whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now, and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. Verse 24, when the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle at Shiloh. In they brought, sorry, in Shiloh, they brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted me my request. Now, I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they all worshipped the Lord there. Amen? Uh, now, here's the reality. Here's the reality of the story. Can I give you a bit of historical background? Okay, this, this little story happened in the wild west of Israel history. Now, we know the history of the children of Israel is, an important, is important for us today because it's our history too. It's the history of faith. And it begins with the, the father of the, the, the Israel faith, the father of the children of Israel. His name was, how many people got it right? Put your hand up if you got it right. How many people were about to say it, but you were holding back just because you wanted to give you know, some of the other kids a chance? All right. His name was Father... Abraham, right? And Father Abraham, he's, God speaks to him and God, God calls him out, out of his culture, out of his family, out of his tribe. And he leaves what was Ur of the Chaldeans. It's, the, it's sort of the birthplace of civilization, right? Civilization, human civilization begins in Ur, uh, in Mesopotamia. It begins in uh, the Indus Valley in sort of what, what is now Pakistan, mostly now. Uh, slightly earlier, it begins the first of all in India. Uh, not that long later, there's, there's civilization begins in, in Mesopotamia and also so in China, that's where human civilization began. And Abraham was called out of that civilization and called to travel across the desert to a whole brand new land that God was going to give him. Abraham had uh, one son named Isaac, who the promise of God rests upon. Isaac had a, two sons, Esau and Jacob, and the promise rests upon Jacob. And Jacob journeyed with God, and ultimately Jacob's name was transformed. Trans, trans, changed, not transformed, changed to Israel, which means Prince of God. And that's why they're called the Israelites, the children of Israel. And there's this genealogy that goes through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Have you ever heard that? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, God's working this plan, right? There's all these crazy things that happen in the plan. Probably one of the greatest stories, I reckon, in the Bible, one of the greatest characters in the Bible to read, if you're looking for something to read when you're doing your Bible reading, is the story of Joseph. And it's just an amazing story. It's been made into all sorts of stage shows and movies and all that sort of stuff. And they're usually actually all pretty terrible in comparison to the actual story of Joseph. And reading that through, he, he, he gets sold by his brothers into slavery and ultimately becomes the prime minister of one of the largest empires in the history of the world. Right, And in fact, his leadership creates empire out of the nation of Egypt. Um, he saves his whole family and his whole tribe. Uh, and, and the plan of God continues from Jacob. They ultimately come out of the, the out of Egypt. They're led by a guy called how many? 
Moses, right? Any Levi guy called Moses, and there's all these miracles, these great things happen, and they're going to where? They're going to a promised land, right? And now this little moment in history, this is the transition because they've come into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, and then they operate in the promised land, this land of Israel. They operate as tribal warlords, or these different tribal warlords or judges. There's, uh, you know, there's Gideon and there's Samson. These, are, these guys are warlords, and they lead tribal areas. Uh, but this, there's a moment coming up where, where that God transitions the nation uh, under, a, under a king. So they go from being tribal warlords to being coming under a king. And the first king's Saul and the next king's David. And then the promise of God is d- declared over David's line. And David gets this promise that, uh, that one of your descendants will always be on the throne. Uh, and your descendants, the kingship of your descendants will never end, right? The, the, the extension of your government will never end. And we know that David was the ultimate human heir of a guy called Jesus who was born many generations later in a town called Bethlehem, not too far from where this baby was born. Uh, and David, this guy, Jesus, is the anointed of God. Right, the reason I'm telling you the whole story is that the plan of Jesus comes through and is facilitated by this boy. This baby that gets born becomes the chosen one who anoints the new king, who brings political change to a whole nation. He becomes the single most significant prophet in Israel's history. He wrote the book of Samuel, first Samuel, the book of Second Samuel. Samuel's not even alive in it, and it's still called Second Samuel. Right? He's the most significant prophetic voice in the history of Israel. This kid, Samuel. How awesome is his mom? How awesome is this woman who can believe for a breakthrough in what even today is an impossibly difficult scenario? Now, I'm old enough, maybe you're not, but I'm old enough to have, have friends who have traveled through a journey of trying to have babies and it not working. And it's, it, it, it's, the only, it's, it's the only conversation I've ever had with a friend of mine where they break down in tears. And when you're a middle-aged man, that's very awkward. It's easily the most painful sort of a scenario I've come across. There's two of the most painful scenarios when you have to sit with a friend who's losing a child. Or when you sit with a friend who's believing for a child and it's not happening. Those would be easily the two most difficult friendship moments I've experienced. And this woman's right in the middle of it. But even worse than that, she's right in the middle of it. And she doesn't have people supporting her. She's got people taunting her. Not just people. She's got the other wife taunting her. I don't know if you can imagine how how angry she would be. How angry would you be? Like you'd be, you'd be, you'd be frustrated. You'd be frustrated, right? That you'd be frustrated that it's not happening, and you'd be, you'd be worried. You'd be sad. You'd be disappointed. Uh, you'd be disappointed. And the way it works, you get disappointed, and then you get your hopes up. Then you get disappointed. Then you get your hopes up. It's one of those sort of scenarios for mum. But when this woman starts taunting you, that would get right under your skin. Has, have you ever had, is there someone who gets right under your skin? Don't put your hand up if it's me. If there's someone who gets right under your skin, where actually sometimes they, all they have to do is look at you and you get angry, right? I don't know, you might have a cousin like that. There might be a kid from primary school like that, but they just get right under your skin. Now, this would get right under Hannah's skin, and it pushed her to the point where she's unable to eat. She's so upset. She's so upset. She's just crying all the time. She's breaking down. But something happened and she gets breakthrough. Something happens in her situation and she does, there's a whole lot of stuff she does, but there's this, in this story, what I'm, again, what I'm wanting to do is get this into your spirit. Come on, when, you're, when your back's against the wall, when you feel that frustration, when you feel that pain, come on, the, you've got to find a way to break through. You've got to find a way to, 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 to get past it, to get not just over it, but to get past it, to get through it, to win somehow in the situation that you're facing. And come on, it might be anything. You might have an extreme, like a debt, a, a financial debt that's out of control. You, you might have a, a, a scenario, you know, you can have a bad time at university, but then you can have like a scenario 
like where this is going difficult and that I'm going to fail this paper and I'm going to fail that paper and that's going to mess up my whole. You know, you can fail a paper at university and sometimes it works out. And you know, but you know, sometimes you get a scenario where hold on, no, this is more than just I'm under pressure here. This is this is like wow. It can sneak up on you. How many of you know it can sneak up on you, right? Scenario can never. You can be facing just a personal battle that nobody else knows about. Where actually you're beginning to get to the end of yourself. Can I, can I put it in your spirit? Can I prophesy into the atmosphere tonight? Come on, you've got to break through. You've got to jump that thing. You've got to run through that challenge. You know, I love the psalm that says, I can run through a troop. I can leap over a wall. Through my God, I will do valiantly. Come on, whatever you're facing, come on, no, come on, whatever you're facing, come on, we've got to do valiantly. We've got to do valiantly. We've got to move forward. We've got to move forward. We've got to push. We've got to break through. Amen? Everyone say, it's time to push. Everyone say, it's time to push. It's time to push. That's my prophetic word for the weekend. It's time to push. It's time to believe. It's time to break through. Um, this weekend was the first Saturday that Elliott's rugby team were allowed to push in their scrums. Now, if you don't know how junior rugby works, you're not allowed to push in your scrums until your team has had the full uh, front row factory training from the rugby union. So one of the people from the rugby union come to your football training and they just work with the front row and the forward pack getting the scrum right. Because how many people know you've got to get the shape right before you push? You've got to learn how to do it, right? How many, anyone want to come and demonstrate for me? So one, you've got to get your foot right. Anyone? What's number two? No one's going to help me out. Number two, Superman. Anyone go like that? Superman. You got to get your foot in the right place. You got to go Superman, and then number th- and then number three, you got to push out your your butt like a duck, right? And then it's and then you got to engage in the. That's how you get. And they're teaching these little kids. You know, the ten year olds. Uh, do you know? It's like what, the first game where they're allowed to push in the scrum. It's like this is the first game of rugby you've played. <laughs> <laughs> up until then, the, the, you know, the scrum is just a formality. It's just like rugby league, you know, like a girl scrum. Uh, they just lean in like a big bunch of sissies. This is for you, putty. Uh, <laughs> but come on, up until then, the scrums are just a formality. They just get the ball back every time. They just put the ball in. Halfback puts the ball in. The other team's not allowed to kick it. The other team's not allowed to do anything. The, the halfback just puts the ball into the scrum. Halfback walks to the back of the scrum. Literally, that's what they do. They walk to the back of the scrum. The ball's there at the number eight's feet. Usually the number eight picks it up because they're always show off. Uh, but then uh, every now and then the halfback would be able to, literally the halfback's able to do this. And then pass the ball. Now that's brilliant when you're learning the game. But yesterday was totally different. The halfbacks are getting munched by number eights coming through. The, 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 the scrums are going tight head. Then winning it back, then winning it back. There were scrums lasting two minutes, and the boys were coming out like this. Yeah, Elliot's got home, and he's sitting in the bathroom. He's got all of the, all where the seams are on his jersey is all red and bruised. Uh, and he said it was the best game of rugby he's ever played, right? Because he was a monster in the scrum, do you know what I mean? And he's just been sitting there. Come on, he's this front row. There's a kid in the front row, the Canadian, the dad's humongous, right? And this kid's playing up two grades, and he's huge. He's like, that tall and and he's just been sitting there in the scrum for two years he's been praying prop forward but now he can push come on I'm going to tell you it's the best day of that kid's life ever right suddenly it's worth being the big guy suddenly it's worth being up two grades right because now I can monster some kids he's eight he's destroying 10 year olds from upper hut right now, come on, I reckon, come on, some, come on, God's made us strong. God's made us powerful. But come on, it's time to push. But you've got to get your foot in the right place. You've got to get the body shape in the right place. There's an attitude of breakthrough that you have to adopt. Now, come on, here's the reality of life. You don't just get to put the ball in, walk to the back of the scrum, and win the game. Come on, in life, we've got to push. We've got to break through. Okay, point number one is this. One of the things that she did, and I think that we've got to start doing, now, I don't, reckon, I don't reckon across this room any of us necessarily are facing the sort of pain that she's facing. But all of us are facing our pain. All of us face our frustrations. All of us face our difficulties. But this is what Hannah did. She allowed her pressure and her pain to push her towards the Lord. John has said it already, and I'll say it again. When you're under pressure, 
you always run to your God. How do you know who your God is? Who do you run to when you're under pressure? When you, when you feel disappointed, when you're feeling sad, when you're feeling lonely, what are you running to? A lot of people will run to alcohol. Now, there's nothing wrong with drinking alcohol, but it's a terrible, terrible thing to worship. Using alcohol to fill a gap on the inside of you is going to ruin your life in the medium term, not in the long term, in the medium term. How many people got to have a cigarette when they're under pressure? Well, come on, there's physical addiction going on, but come on, there's also an emotional thing that's happening where you're having to rely on something that's other than God. Now, these are, I picked those two right because they're the easy ones, right? Because a lot of people will hit the internet for pornography when they're under pressure. A lot of people start snapping at the important people in their life when they're under pressure. A lot of people go into their cave and just play the game when they're under pressure, Right? Now, come on, you might do all these things. You might smoke, you might drink, you might use the internet for all sorts. You might play the game, but I'm not talking about whether you do it. I'm talking about whether you're doing it to meet some sort of need on the inside. Are you doing it to numb the edge off the pain? Are you doing it to numb the edge off the frustration? Are you doing it to warm you up when you're feeling cold and empty? Because if you're doing that to fill those gaps, I want to teach you from the Bible, it will leave you dry. It will leave you empty. It will ultimately create inside of you a deficit that you can't pay back. Now, there's no problem with using alcohol to fill the pain except alcohol charges interest. It fills the gap for now. You only need to know what it's like to have a big credit card debt to know you can't live like that for long. Amen? Everyone say, she allowed the pressure to push her to the Lord. Come on, are you under pressure? I hope that you are. I hope that there's some pain in your life. I hope that there's some frustration in your life because God is allowing those things in your life to push you into God. God's, God's, it's never God's plan to make you feel pain. But he, when, when, the, when life conspires against you, God always will use that pain to reveal himself to you, right? Okay, point number two is that settling is not an option. Settling is not an option. I, I, love, what, I love this little interaction in, in verse 8 between Elkanah, the husband, and, and his distraught wife. And you'd have to be married to understand just how often this happens. But Elkanah has got no idea what's going on inside Oh, Hannah. Do you know what? Elkanah was the person in the whole world who understood Hannah the best. He's her husband. He understands her the best. He understands her the most deeply. He knows what she's like more than anybody else in the whole world, right? And when the pressure was on for Hannah and she's crying and she's so upset that she can't eat, what does Elkanah say? Hey, cheer up. I'm still here. Do you know what? Other people, people, human beings, will want you to feel better. If you come to me and you're under pressure and you're feeling pain, I want you to feel better. And do you know what the easiest way to feel better is? Just settle for whatever's going on. If you want to go to a church that makes you want to feel better, they won't talk about sin. They won't talk about faith. They won't talk about vision, right? But at Equipus Church, we don't want you to feel good. We want you to be everything that God's called you to be. And you know what? You don't get to be everything God's called you to be and always feel good. In fact, sometimes you have to face up to the fact that things are wrong on the inside. Things are wrong on the outside. And until they're right, you're not going to rest. There's a promise in the Scriptures, that, that a prayer that they used to pray in Israel when they were trying, they were believing for their homeland to be returned. They were believing for things to be put right. There's a promise in Jewish, uh, uh, in Jewish thinking that's part of our Christian identity as well called shalom. Shalom means that the whole nation physically, spiritually, environmentally comes into a place of peace and harmony, right? And when they're crying out for shalom, they used to say this, God, give us no rest 
as we give you no rest until peace comes to Israel. Do you know, whatever you're facing, whether it's a personal challenge that no one else knows about, or it's a big issue, like, like a physical problem that maybe other people know about, other people are on the journey, whatever you're facing, do you know what you could do? You could hold on to that. Say, God, give me no rest. And God, I'm not going to give you any rest until I see peace on Israel. Do you know, one of the things that uh, the prophet Ezekiel condemned the leaders of Israel for, and Jesus did the same thing. He condemned the leaders of Israel when he came, the Son of God. Uh, in Ezekiel, he said, the, all the leaders were saying to the people, peace, peace. And, he, and the, Ezekiel says, come on, you say peace, peace, but there is no peace. Come on, I'm saying to you today, there's no peace. Come on, what's going inside of you? It's not peace, is it? It's not shalom, is it? Everything's not peace and harmony inside of you, is it? Right? I'm not going to stand here and say, peace, peace. Hey, look at Wellington. Peace, peace. Hey, look at the world. Peace, peace. Don't worry about Syria. Don't worry about the refugee crisis in Europe. Uh, don't worry about child uh, sex trafficking. Don't worry about the internet pornography. Don't worry about multinational uh, greed. Don't worry about the people down your street. Don't worry about little kids who die, even in a country like New Zealand. I'm not going to stand here and say, peace, peace. I'm going to say, come on, we've got to go to war. It's time for us to push. We've got to get ourselves in the right position, lock in tight together, and and believe for God to break us through. Settling is not an option. Everyone say it's not an option. Okay, it's not an option. Everyone says it's not an option. Grab your Bible, jump with me to Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We're not going to read them all. I'm just going to pick out some verses for you. If this is where your analog Bible would be handy because uh, you'd be able to skim to the next verse rather than have to go back and back and ding and ding and ding. All right, that. And also really handy if you're like me and you've gone ahead. If, you, if you're smart like me, you would have already underlined the verses I'm about to read. Like Anusa, he's already done that. He's underlined them already because he's a smart kid. Okay, it says this. This is Jesus writing to all the Christians in the whole world, right? in representative groups, not individually, right? To the first church, he says this, everyone who is victorious, and the old translation says, everyone who overcomes, everyone who is victorious will eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Do you like that? People are like, hmm. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Come on, you gotta get you got to get more into poetry. Come on, you've got to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Poetically, how powerful is that? In reality, how powerful is that, right? What about the next church? He says, whoever is victorious will not be hurt by the second death. What's the second death? That's the lake of fire where God judges the whole world and the devil and all of his angels are thrown into the into the lake of fire, along with anyone who doesn't acknowledge Jesus as Savior. If we're victorious, if we overcome, we don't get hurt by the second death. How many people are like, that's less poetic, but somehow I get it now, right? We get to eat from the tree of life. We're not hurt by the second death. What? What are the next church? He says, everyone who is victorious will eat manna. That's the Word of God, the presence of God, will partake in the reality of who God is, manna that has been hidden away in heaven. We got, we got a bit more poetic again. People are losing me. Okay, right. Moving on. The next one. Next church says, To all who are victorious and who obey me to the very end, I will give authority over the nations. The next church in Philadelphia says, All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never, ever leave it. And they will write my God's name. I will write my God's name on them, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes out from, the hev from heaven from my God. And the last church, he says, I will invite everyone who is victorious, everyone who overcomes, I will invite to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Everyone say, overcome. Come on, it's not an option just to live with where you're at. We've got to get into our spirits and overcoming spirit. And I'm going to just keep preaching until it arrives. We need an overcoming spirit inside of us. People are like, we're going to be here all night. Now, come on, open your heart to God and say, God, put it in me. I want an overcoming spirit. Now, come on, you, some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I don't really need an overcoming spirit. I've got, I've got this. If your life is something you can manage, you haven't seen the plan of God yet. You haven't seen it. Talk to someone. You need to talk to people my age. If you're younger, you need to talk to people. You need to talk to Mike Davey. 
talk to Mike David and say, Mike David, tell me about adopting children from Russia. And he'll tell you this, man, you've got to learn to overcome. And overcome, and overcome, and overcome, and overcome. Ben, Mike, we're not old, we're, not, we're only 40, we're young, we're young, and we look good for our age. Talk to someone who's been married. How hard has it been married? It's not hard to be married as long as you understand we've got to overcome. See, if you don't have a vision to overcome, don't get married. Because if you don't have a vision to overcome all the crap that you carry around with you, you're not fit to be married to another human being. You've got to have a vision that says, I'm going to deal with my crap as it comes. I'm going to run through the enemy. I'm going to leap over the wall, right? How many times are you going to have to maintain the attitude? Man, if you can just maintain it 2% of the time and believe God for the rest. We've got to say, no, we're here to overcome. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. Reality check. The worst day of your life may not have happened yet. Yeah, you've got it. Well, I don't really need the Spirit of God. I don't really need the overcoming Spirit. Yeah, but you don't know. You don't know what you need tomorrow. Do you? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Do you know what? I know what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow there'll be another knock on and you'll need to push. Come on, the ball will go out to the backs, they'll drop the ball again, and you'll have to push, right? And then you'll, you'll win that scrum, and the ball will go out to the backs, and they'll drop the ball again, and you'll have to push, right? Why? Because it's part of the game. Everyone say, it's time to push. Okay, last point. Everyone's like, what? It's, don't worry, it's a long, long point. You're like, these people are like, I want my money back. This sermon is too short. Uh, anyway, Acts chapter 16. We're going to go New Testament on the same idea. Is that all right? New Testament on the same idea. Now, here's the Old Testament story. There's a lady. She can't have a baby. She's really sad about it. She's crying and crying and crying. She's all upset. Her husband's an idiot. She finally goes to the temple to pray. The priest is an idiot. She's praying and praying and praying. The priest finally realizes she's not drunk and says, well, your promise is going to happen. She goes home and she ends up having this baby. The baby's just a baby, right? Except that it's not. The baby becomes the greatest leader in Israel's history to that point. The baby ushers in the, a rea- the realities of heaven. This baby ushers in the prophetic realities of heaven and releases them into earth, right? It's the baby's the chosen one from any movie you like. The baby is the anointed one. The baby is amazing, right? Now, what happens if the woman's like this? The woman's like, wow, I really wish I could have a baby. This lady Panina is really annoying. I'm just going to stab Panina in the face. Problem solved. What if she said, well, I'm just going to block her out. I'm just going to do some mindfulness, think, a little bit of mindfulness thinking. Come on, I don't got no problem with mindfulness, but come on, let's be mindful about breakthrough. Let's be mindful about overcoming. Instead of doing that, she went to God and overcame, and she didn't just get blessed. The whole nation of Israel just got blessed. And I want to put, suggest to you, you would not be a Christian. You would not have access to the love of God if this woman hadn't overcome her own issues, right? That's the Old Testament one. Ready for the New Testament one? Acts chapter 16. Now, this is an amazing story. Now, the Apostle Paul, uh, man, I feel like I have to tell the whole story every time. Is that all right? How many people, know, how many people have heard the Apostle Paul? He started out when, 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 when Christianity first begins to spread. The Apostle Paul was a religious leader, of, uh, a, a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader, a uh, Pharisee, right? And he's anti, 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 anti the things of Christ. To the point that his job was traveling from town to town arresting Christians. And in at least one instance we know it's recorded in the Bible, he supervised the execution of Christians. Anyhow, Paul's on the road to Damascus to do this. uh, And and the Holy Spirit of God appears to Paul. The Spirit of Christ speaks to him out of a cloud, a blinding light, and says to him, stop persecuting me. Paul has this conversion, this Damascus Road type experience, conversion there on the Damascus Road. I did that just for you, Jono. Did you get it, Putty? Yeah, that's good. Anyhow, uh, his whole life is turned around, and then he completely switches teams, and he starts to preach the gospel, right? And he ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. So the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, um, uh, and probably Hebrews, right? He writes all of that, all about grace, all about truth, all about faith, how we access heaven, right? Everything you know about grace, everything you know about following Jesus through faith was written down by Paul, right? 
Anyway, Paul's traveling all around uh, uh, Asia Minor, Europe, Turkey, and, and Southern Europe. And he's, wherever he goes, he goes into a town, he begins to preach, and he, people get saved or converted, and then he builds a church, and that church grows. The church in Ephesus grew to about 40,000, between 40 and 60,000. Uh, and he's now, in a, he's now trying to get from one place to the other. He's in a place called Mesopotamia, but not Mesopotamia, we've done Mesopotamia. He's in Macedonia, right? in a town called Philippi, which is a Roman garrison town, a real tough town. And it, he goes there and preaches, and it goes badly, right? There's a riot. He ends up being arrested. Him and his friend Silas are thrown into a prison, and it says they're thrown right into the middle of the prison. Now, the middle of the prison, let's just educate you. That's not like the, you know, you think middle of the prison, that's like the exercise area, the yard. No, the middle of the prison uh, was always down a few levels, and it was where all the feces would drop to. Right? It was the hardest place to get out of because you had to go from cell to cell to cell to get out. Right? So the middle of the prison is a bad place. He's there and he's in stocks. Right? He's been beaten. Uh, what, uh, the sort of beating that if you or I got, it would be basically beaten to death. He's been beaten with, with like large rods, like pick handles. Uh, they've been beaten with the rods. They've been thrown into the feces-infested prison, and they're locked there uh, with guards there. They're locked in the stocks, and it, it, it gets to around midnight. How many of you know that always starts to get difficult about midnight? At about midnight, it says in verse 25 of Acts chapter 16, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Because that's what you do, isn't it? When you've, been, when you've been beaten half to death because you preach the gospel, that's what you do, eh? You think, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. That's the first song that comes to your mind, isn't it? When you get beaten and you're sitting there amongst the feces of the other prisoners. That's the song I would sing, wouldn't it? I'd know what you'd sing. I'd be singing, nobody knows. That's me with my tin cup on the bars. The trouble I see. That'd be my hymn. But come on, they're praising God. They're singing. They're praying. They're calling out to God. They're praising God in the middle of the prison, right? It says all the other prisoners were listening, right? Because you don't have many options if there's someone right in the middle of the prison singing, right? Suddenly there's a great earthquake. The prison doors are shaken. The prison is shaken to its foundation. The doors fly open. Now, this is, now, this is another sort of earthquake where just the doors open, right? There's an earthquake. The doors fly open. Right? And the chains, this again, this is one of those great earthquakes where the chains just fall off the arms of the prisoners. Right? This is the New Testament version of the same thing. Paul's in prison. He could be singing, nobody knows. He could be singing the blues. He's locked up in Folsom Prison. That's the right sort of song to sing. He's not. He's praising God in the middle of his distress. There's an earthquake, a special sort of earthquake that happens to open doors, happens to dissolve chains. Do you know, I reckon you need that sort of earthquake. Don't you need that sort of an earthquake? From time to time, you need something to break through in your life that you can't do yourself. A bit more of your ideas is just going to get a bit more feces fall on your head, right? Some more of yours ideas are just going to get you beaten with a few more sticks. What we need is the presence of God to break through. And the presence of God breaks through when we find our voice and shout, when we can praise God in the middle of the prison, when in the middle of our difficulty we can say, I know this is tough all around me, but inside me faith is rising. Inside me, faith and belief, I'm going to declare my praises and believe for an earthquake. Now, here's the deal. When Hannah broke through, we ultimately get Jesus. Because her breakthrough became all of our breakthrough. When Paul breaks through, he gets out of prison, which means that he gets to live to fight another day. It doesn't say this. Paul and Silas were in the prison and they died which is what normally happens when you've got open sores and they throw you in prison, you normally just die. It doesn't say that. It says they were in prison, and then about midnight, they praise and they get out of prison, right? But check out the breakthrough. Check out what happens, right? The jailer wakes up. How do we know? This is a bad day for the jailer. The jailer wakes up, and he sees the doors of the prison are wide open, and he assumes that every prisoner has escaped. And so he draws his sword to kill himself because he'd be put to death if, if, if all the prisoners have escaped. But Paul shouts out to him and says, don't do it. We're all here. 
So they all just stayed in the prison with the doors open and the chains off so that the jailer didn't get into trouble. Don't you reckon that's awesome? We're all here. Trembling with fear, the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon, fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they preached the gospel and the jailer and all of his family are baptized that night. And the kingdom of God, do you know what happens? The kingdom of God gets a foothold in Macedonia. A church is born. What's that church? The church in Europe extended. From there, we know Christianity has spread throughout the whole world. Come on, it's the New Testament version of the same story. Your breakthrough is everybody's breakthrough. That's why settling is not an option. You might think I'm being just a bit too loud and shouty today. I don't think I'm sh- I can't shout loud enough about the importance of for faith to arise in your heart. For the importance, not just the importance, but the, the reality of what will happen when faith arises. When faith begins to work in your heart, vision comes to your eyes and things begin to change. Come on, things begin to change. The impossible becomes possible when faith begins working in your heart. I don't know if you've ever been, had your back up against the wall. I don't know if you've ever really needed breakthrough. But it doesn't come just by sitting and hoping. It doesn't come from singing the blues. Come on, it comes from allowing our pressure to push us to God. Allowing our pain to push us to God. And when it turns midnight, let's make sure we're singing praises, not singing the blues. And let's believe God for breakthrough. When you close your eyes and bow your heads, I'm really believing the Holy Spirit is going to continue working just as we close our service in prayer. We are going to sing a song of praise in a minute and really believe God for breakthrough. But what I want to do right now is, first of all, give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Perhaps you're here and, you know, maybe you don't know what it is to follow God. Maybe you've not surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you haven't asked Him to forgive you of your sin. Every time at church here, when we close our service, we love to give people this opportunity. It's an opportunity to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. The reality, the truth of Scripture is that God loved the world so much that He sent His only Son so that whoever believes in Him doesn't perish but has life eternal. That's the promise of John 3.16. And we know that Jesus in Revelation says that He stands at the door of our hearts. He stands at the door of our life and He knocks. And if we open the door to Him, God enters our life Jesus enters our life and begins transforming us from the inside out, like I said at the start of the sermon. Perhaps you're here and you've not made that decision to invite God into your life. Maybe you've, you've never asked God to forgive your sin. Well, can I, get, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. In a moment, I'm going to lead everyone in a prayer where we all pray together, inviting God into our life, asking Him to forgive us and choosing to follow Him. It's the start of a journey. It's the start of a process. It, it's it's It's... It's an opening of a door where God begins working in our life in a way He never has before. And so we love to give people this opportunity to do this. This morning we had someone responding by lifting their hand and, and just hearing the story afterwards. They're recommitting their life to God. Maybe, maybe you're here and you've made this decision in the past, but for whatever reason, maybe you've walked away from God. Could I encourage you, why don't you take this opportunity to recommit and rededicate your life to Jesus, asking Him to forgive you of your sin. So let's do that while everyone's got their heads bowed, everyone's got their eyes closed. It's just me looking around. If that's you, just give me a quick wave. Shoot your hand up. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down. And then we're going to pray. If you're here, if that's you, can I urge you, why don't you make the decision? If you know you need to, why don't you make that decision tonight? Say, yeah, I'm going to respond to God. I'm going to invite Him into my world. Just another couple of seconds. If that's you, just throw your hand in the air and you can put it back down and then we'll pray. That's awesome on my right awesome as well on my right. Thank you so much too. If there's anyone else, just shoot your hand up, then we'll pray. Thanks, guys. Cool, let's pray. Those of you lifted your hand, let's just pray this with your whole heart, the Bible would say. Pray with a whole heart. Uh, Maybe you were too scared to lift your hand or maybe you didn't want to lift your hand, but you want to pray this prayer. Why don't you just pray the prayer and just make this decision to acknowledge Jesus and invite Him into your world. Here we go, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your great love and your mercy. I thank you. You're the source of my life. Today I choose to acknowledge you, Jesus, 
as my Savior and my Lord. I ask you to forgive my sin, and I'm choosing today to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? Is that all right? Those of you who lifted your hand, I'd I'd love it if we could chat afterwards. If you lifted your hand, maybe come and chat with me afterwards. I'd love to talk more about the steps that you need to take from now in that journey that God's got for you. Why don't you, you, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. This is what I I really feel like, man, there's an opportunity tonight. You might think, well, it's just a few of us here in this old hall. I actually really like this old hall. But it's not just a few of us here in this old hall. Someone's future depends on you breaking through. Someone you may never meet. You breaking through your challenge. And I'm not suggesting for a moment that your challenge is easy. Or that that breakthrough is just around the corner. But I am suggesting breakthrough is always a result of faith. Do you know where miracles come from? I said this this morning. Miracles aren't a result of us getting enough points in God's deserverometer, like a fundraising thing, like a total. We get enough prayers in there and we get to the deserverometer level and a miracle happens. You know the thing I know about miracles? They happen for people who don't deserve them. Because they're not based on whether you deserve a miracle. It's based on God's grace, God's love, and God's mercy and their access. The miracles are accessed by faith. And I do what I want to do is I want to open up this space down the front. And I'm just saying there's an opportunity for breakthrough. There's an opportunity for miracles. We're going to get the, the team is just going to sing this song, this little bridge of taggy bit. That bit. They're going to sing that. And, and while we're all singing, let's lift our hands and let's sing together. But when you come forward, I'd love to pray with people. I'd love to pray breakthrough into your world. Is that all right? We've got time. And then, uh, then we're going to sing a song of praise to finish. So while the guys are singing, why don't you come forward now and let's pray.